Welcome to The Creative Switch, the podcast inspiring the sensibly successful to switch on their unexpressed creativity for a more fulfilled life. In today's episode, I'm chatting to corporate trainer turned actor, Martin Spendlove, who believes in being rebellious and pushing back against anything preventing us from achieving our potential. Find out what happened when he asked himself, are you really doing what you want to be doing? And how his martial arts training set him up for success. And if you're looking to turn your creative inspiration into action, don't forget to listen right to the end of the episode and catch up with my creative adventures. I share the challenges I encounter and how acting on the nuggets I've learned from my guests and applying those learnings is helping me to move forward in my own creative projects. Do you suffer from self-doubt? If you do, don't worry, you're not on your own. Former TV actress and self-development coach Holly Matthews gave us some wonderful advice in season one on how to get unstuck. Before we get to that, do remember to head to my website, nikkivalance.com, and sign up to join the Creative Switch community and get involved in the creative conversation. You can connect with like-minded creatives, find a safe space to share your challenges, support each other, and maybe even collaborate to create something together. First, it's time for some creative news in The Edge. I don't know if you've noticed, but even if you're not a movie fan, it's hard to miss the fact that we're in the middle of the film awards season, which begins in January with the Golden Globes, followed by the BAFTAs, and then wraps up with the Oscars in March. It still holds immense value for both filmmakers, actors, and film lovers alike. It's a time of recognition, celebration, and inspiration running through the film industry and into our imaginations. For aspiring actors, these awards represent the pinnacle of cinematic achievement. They see in the winners such as Tillon Murphy, who won the BAFTA for leading actor of his role in Oppenheimer, a testament to the power of talent, hard work and artistic vision. These awards serve as a beacon, illuminating the path to success and encouraging them to hone their craft in the pursuit of excellence. Film lovers, on the other hand, often view the awards season as a guide to the year's most outstanding cinematic offerings. We trust that the awards will highlight films that might otherwise have been overlooked, such as The Zone of Interest, which won for Outstanding British Film at the BAFTAs. They also celebrate adaptations that bring beloved books to life on the big screen, like Poor Things and Oppenheimer. I must admit, I love book-to-film adaptations. I think you can spot the quality of characters and plots in these films. Not all books will work as films, of course, but those that do form a solid backbone on which to hang the visual story. I am biased here, of course. Award season is a time when fans can engage in spirited debates about the merits of the nominees, discover new films to watch and join in the collective anticipation of the awards announcements. But for me, it also highlights the subjective nature of our creative endeavours and I much prefer to judge a film on its own merits and my response to it without reading a review, watching a trailer or considering the hype which a nomination will inevitably bring. Just like books and literary success, critically acclaimed films carry the hallmark of expert and critic opinions, which may not always align with a commercial or popular success. Sometimes there is a whiff of the Emperor's New Clothes about them, where groupthink has taken over, and there's no young lad in the audience prepared to say otherwise. I have to say this year, I have seen a few of the winning and nominated films and all of them have been excellent and deserving of the attention. But that's just my opinion and I won't say which ones so that you can make up your own minds. In essence, 
the awards season is a time when the magic of cinema is celebrated, where dreams for the lucky few are realised on the silver screen, and where film lovers can indulge in their passion for film. It is a testament to the enduring power of cinema to inspire, entertain and bring people together. I especially look forward to the British winners, which represent the UK's vibrant and diverse film industry. And if acting is your creative passion, all of this may seem a long way off and you may prefer to look a little bit closer to home. Much like the great British Bake Off, the great Pottery Throwdown and others, there's a new creative competition airing now on the BBC called Bring the Drama, hosted by Bill Bailey, where the diverse cast of aspiring actors are put through their paces and given a chance to fulfil a lifetime's dramatic ambition. There's even a festival of the same name, with events across February and March, to give behind-the-scenes insight and inspiration into the creative industries. And the Eric Creative Arts app, for all those roles which make drama production possible. These never-too-late programmes get me every time, some more than others. That's a hint to a secret I'll share with you later. Head to the bottom of the show notes, where all the links I've mentioned are listed under The Edge. Are you interested in finding new podcasts or shows to learn about your creative field? Have you found some already to recommend to your fellow creatives? Do let us know either in the Creative Switch community or on Instagram at Nikki underscore Valance. And listen next to my conversation with the corporate trainer who switched priorities, put his creative passion at the top of the list, only to find himself in Sophie Hanna's murder mystery musical feature film. Actor Martin Spendlove. Good afternoon, Martin. It's lovely to have you here on The Creative Switch. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the meat of the podcast, I'd like to just ask you, to, if you can, to tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hello. Yes. Thank you again for having me here. My name is Martin Spendlove. I am an actor. I turned into acting professionally only about three years ago. So I'm very excited to tell you about how I came to achieve that. Because for the last 15 years or more, I was working in the corporate world and I was a training facilitator. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a vegan, I'm a martial artist, I have three dogs. Yeah, so life is, is pretty full and, and acting is, is very much my passion. And so that all weaves into the fabric of my life. So that's a little bit of me in a nutshell just there. Plenty of layers for us to dig into there. That's fantastic. So as you know, the podcast is really to help people to unlock their unexpressed creativity. And I'd like, before we go into detail of how you've done that and what it means to you, to actually just ask you what you think creativity is and perhaps why you feel it's important both to you and to, to everybody. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Creativity for me is it's making something that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. I think creativity is the ability to be able to conceive of an idea and come up with your way of making it happen. I very much believe in being rebellious. That's my mantra. Be rebellious is, is in everything that I do. So I really think it's important for people who, are, who want to be creative, who are creative, to know that excuses can get in the way of creativity and stifle creativity. So I think being creative is the ability to rebel against the things that prevent you from creating and being creative. And to truly be yourself, I think is expression. I think it's self-belief. I think it's belief in others. It's finding inspiration and using that inspiration in order to, to make something that is really, really yours. So creativity for me is, is in everything. And I think it's a really important, very, very human thing to do. Oh, we have so much in common in the way we think. <laughs> oh, well, good. You mentioned there you had recently, relatively recently, put your acting front and centre. But talk to me about 
the performer, Martin the performer. I'm sensing that that's always been there and something has happened more recently to sort of bring it to the surface. Is, is that right? Am I right in saying that? Oh, your senses do you justice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The performance always been there. It shifted in recent years, I think. The performer was there since I was a child. I remember the first time I had the opportunity to, to perform on stage. And it's like most kids, they do the school nativity play. Some kids are like, do I have to do this? I go up on stage. This is embarrassing for me. I don't want to do it. But for me, it was I cannot wait to get on this stage. Mm-hmm. The, but I can be somebody else. I can pretend for fun and nobody's going to stop me doing that. It's amazing. So for me, the performer was always there. And I remember one particular instance where I realized it. And I forget how old I was. It was, it was infant school. It was primary. Mm-hmm. So I was very young. And I remember being told by the teacher, right, in the nativity play, you're going to be a, a soldier. And there's about six soldiers on the stage and they're all marching along. So. I heard, you are a soldier, Martin. And I, oh, okay, well, I better behave like a soldier. So I changed my posture and I put my chin up and I marched but like a proper soldier. And to me, that was just, I was doing what I'd been told to do. And afterwards, the headmistress came over to me and she put her arm around me and she goes, you were the best soldier up there. And I felt a great sense of pride. And I thought, wow, I don't know what I did, but I liked it. And it was good. From before then, that point, moving on every opportunity i could find i wanted to be on stage i wanted to express something that i couldn't be in real life because i was very introverted as a child i was quite shy i was friendly and i wanted to be around friends and socialize i was very sociable but i was still quite shy approaching new people and expressing myself the stage removed all of that for me it gave me the opportunity to play as somebody else Um, so as a child moving into teenage moving into adulthood I would look for opportunities to perform on stage. So, yes, it's absolutely always been there for me. And now I've finally taken the step to do it professionally and I have been doing for about a year and a half mm-hmm. to two years. So I've been training for, for just over three years professionally. Wow. So was there a moment, can you remember a specific moment when you thought, actually, I've got to re- well against something that's been stopping me from putting it as the first thing that again I talk about on the podcast I'm trying to get those I call them sensibly successful people who deep down have this passion but think ah can I really make that my thing I better carry on doing this job this profession Mm -hmm. this this thing that I've been doing that I'm very good at that I know I can earn money out but deep down there's something they're not letting out so would you say that you were in that position and then something switched for you to go no I'm actually going to do the thing I really want to do definitely yeah I, I like your phrase sensibly successful that's one thing that attracted me to come and have a conversation with you is because I am sensibly successful I didn't do well at school because I was a dreamer, I, but I always dreamt of doing stuff that I felt was out of my reach. So I'll come to that. Mm-hmm. But I got to a point in my life where I knew I had to be sensible and I had to get a good job and a career behind me. And, and even though I didn't achieve good grades at school, I could still learn d- during work time. So I qualified as a training facilitator while I was delivering training for long-term unemployed people. That was a difficult, volatile environment to work in, but essentially I, was, I had a knack for it. I was good at it. And I continued gaining qualifications. I got some personality profiling tools behind me. I, I learned how to coach people effectively, did that multiple times and upskilled myself, got to a point where I'm very confident and very comfortable in training people. I'm good at it and I get good results. So I, I am very much sensible in that because there's always going to be a need for that in business. There's always opportunities for, for people to come onto training courses virtually and, and in face-to-face settings to learn better communication skills, to learn how to be a better manager and leader, to learn how to present effectively. And I'm there to help people with that. But becoming that comfortable does make you forget that you're also good at something else. And in fact, that thing that you're also good at should be the thing that you are pursuing because it's your number one dream job. So I think when I did become very comfortable and, and sensible 
in my career choice, it was always second to acting. And in fact, while I was doing that work as a training facilitator, I was coming away 7, 7.30 in the evening, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays, I'd be there rehearsing a musical theatre so that we could perform it in April. <laughs> so I'd be an amateur performer mm. as well as doing the training facilitation. I thought that was it. I thought my life was made. I thought, great, I'm doing the training facilitation. It's sensible, but I'm also getting to do what I want to do. So there, it was always there, yeah. Mm. So did something specific happen to perhaps do both, but put them in a different order so that the number one becomes the number one and the number two is the number two? Ooh, you could almost call that a creative switch. I like it. <laughs> so, yes, indeed. Yes, something, yeah. something did happen. And it happened to it happened to all of us. In 2020, pandemic came along mm -hmm. and my job went. It was a bit unceremonious. It was one of those situations where you go onto a call on a Monday morning. I'd be working for this organization for four and a half years. Yeah, four and a half years. As a training consultant, I had some good successes. It was one of those situations where you think, I could stay here for good. It's a great job, really enjoy it. COVID came along Monday morning. My manager, she's wonderful. I'm still really good friends with her. She said, I'm sorry, everybody, but your jobs are gone. You've got some time to work it out. And after that, we're done. Shortly after that, the first lockdown was announced. And I'd already decided I knew that this is an opportunity for me to go freelance in training. So I did. And I set up Rebellious Learning and Development. And I started looking for work as, as a training consultant. That took a long time. It was hard work. But in the back of my mind, there was this voice going, you should be pursuing acting, really. You know, and I was like, no, 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 shh, shh, shh. be quiet because I've got to do the training work because this is what pays right now. Okay. So I continued doing the training work slowly, but surely, gradually, that started to build. And I started to get clients and started to do some good work for people. And I still am, which is fantastic. I'm really grateful for those people that I do work with. But not long after I started picking up clients, that little voice in my mind came back. And it said, Martin, you're really doing what you should be doing. I said, no. So for the first time ever, I said, no, I'm not doing what I should be doing. And the other question, the question that followed was, well, what should you be doing? And I said, I should be an actor. And on that day, I started doing the research. Did it feel like a big moment or did it just feel like a piece of jigsaw had just finally fallen into place? Uh, it was hairs on, the, on my yeah. arms standing on end. Yeah. One of, those, one of those moments where real belief happened. And that's the difference because mm. at any point in my training facilitation life, being a L&D consultant, whatever you want to call me. I was full-time employed. At any point during that time, I could have said, do you know what? I should be going out and being an actor. Mm. But it was this opportunity where I'd, I'd already said, I'm burning my boats and I'm not going back into full-time employment again. I'm going to be a freelancer. So I'm going to do what Cortez did. I'm going, to reach the, I'm going to reach the island, I'm going to burn my boats, and I'm going to take the island. That's it. Mm -hmm. But this time it was slightly different because I'd already started doing it as a training facilitator. I hadn't started doing it as an actor. So I had to fully commit and I had to say to myself, right, you believe now. If you've done it as a freelance trainer, you can do it as an actor. It's the same thing, mm -hmm. just a different industry. Yeah. So it was, it was a revelation. And it, it was definitely a chilling moment because everything became excited my but I could feel it physically I, I ran downstairs to my wife and I said oh, I found, found this acting class oh, I, I can do it anytime I can do it in my own time I can go to face-to-face -face workshops I can do online content I can do assignments if I sign up to this thing I could be an actor in about three years my wife was behind me on it that's a really heartwarming story but I guess with that moment of realization and that belief also comes concern a bit of fear <laughs> and this is where I was saying about earlier on that we have a lot in common I'm behind you in this journey it's always been my number one thing that I wanted to do but I just haven't done it uh, I haven't even done the Amdram thing because it didn't fit with my other career that I used to have so I've written a novel and had a, a novel published but I think really behind all of that is the creation of characters and embodying those people and when I'm writing I'm being those people and 
So it's gone a slightly different route for me, but it definitely is something that's still there that needs to be attended to. So what's the difference between someone who has said, okay, I believe in this, I'm going to do it. What do you have to do, practical steps to get from a dream to turning it into a proper goal and taking action? Mm. I would say taking a definite step, no matter how small that that step is. Mm -hmm. It could be that you sign up to a BBC Maestro course. For example, I saw recently Brian Cox has recorded a course, sign up to it, BBC Maestro, you can learn his acting technique from him. It could be something like that. For me, my definite step was Googling acting classes near me. That's a definite step. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. That's where your belief begins. It, it doesn't mean you're going to be, you could be an Oscar winner in 12 months time. It means you've just, you've taken a step towards your dream, no matter how small. From there, I found the Acting Academy and that's run by a really excellent gentleman called Mark Pegg. He's been an actor for many years. He's been in many things that you recognize such as EastEnders and the, the Bill, when that was on TV, he was in there. So he's a veteran of television acting and production so he's been in front of in front of and behind the camera and uh, his acting academy advertised itself as you can be a professional actor regardless of who you are and where you are because you can study in your own time he uploads videos onto the the online learning platform you watch those you do the assignments that he sends you and you send them into him to get feedback so he's got a team of people who work on things like shakespeare and voice the technique the business the art everything encompassed into this online course, but also you can do face-to-face workshops. That's where I started. That's where I took a definite step and it was Googling acting classes near me, of which there were none because I live in Kettering, Northamptonshire. We don't really have much of the arts around us. It's not that prevalent for the arts. I mean, there's some good pockets of it, but it's not like something you'd find in London. So I had to find something to work for me and that was it. From there, snowball just happened i met people mm. and i started networking and i started talking about their experiences and there was one guy a good friend of mine now called shy saying he'd done a student film and he'd uploaded the film there must have been a youtube and he shared the link of it and i watched this short film and i was like this guy is he's an actor and i've i've seen him i've worked with him we've been on the on the class together and he's doing stuff how can i do that mm. so it all started to roll into one but it started with that one afternoon where I went are you doing the thing you really want to do and it was no so I turned it into a yes and googled it that's where it started brilliant okay so one other practical question before we go on to things a little bit broader most people who are in your position or were in your position wouldn't have any idea really about how to make it work apart from getting the skills and you mentioned a little bit there about focusing on learning the whole thing. So it's the art of it. It's the skills of it. It's the business of it. So I think probably most people would be okay with one and two because you could do that and you just absorb that and that's you. But the business has lots of elements you can't control yourself. So, you know, you don't know anything about it before you start. So apart from asking other people, which is my number one method of learning, much quicker for me. How did you equip yourself to understand how the business works? I come from an advantageous point of view because I've worked in corporate for many, many years and multiple different businesses within that corporate sphere. Years and years ago, I did some sales. I was a recruiter. So I had to learn about how to network and do business with people and to ask good questions to be able to not just jump in and offer a solution that I think is right. It's to glean as much information from a potential client as possible to be able to offer a potential solution. So I was very, very lucky to learn that. I think if I was younger coming into acting, Mm. I might be of the mindset of, well, I'm talented, I'm skilled, I've got an individual look about myself, I've got my own voice, I've been on stage, I've done some stuff in front of the camera. Why wouldn't somebody cast me? But then there's a million other people who have an individual look, an individual voice, some talent, (laughs) right? So it doesn't really make me any more or less a prospect than the next person along. The business is the most important part. You have to treat it as something that 
is going to offer a good solution to a client, but also benefit me in some way, monetarily, but also to utilize my skills and give me fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So in the, from the business perspective, yes, that is probably, I think that might be the hardest thing for some actors to pick up. But if you haven't been in business or worked around business before, worked in sales, learned how to network, to ask good questions, to be the first person to put your hand up and say, oh, can I shake your hand? I want to meet you. I I think these are really, really important skills that everybody before they even start acting need to pick up. So I think the the best advice that I would maybe give is to learn how to sell, learn how to market yourself, believe in your product and brand, have a belief, a motto. But mine, of course, is be rebellious because I believe in pushing against things that hold you back. I think those things are more important than learning the skills of an actor because yes you might have the toolkit you might have the talent but if you can't market it it's useless so i think those business elements learn them but maybe do some amateur stuff maybe get up on stage do some amateur dramatics get over those nerves learn about yourself get some techniques get some feedback but do the business bit learn how to be a good business person definitely yeah and i think that carries that does broaden things out because that carries i think whatever your creative passion is if you are thinking about making it your number one, then you will have to market it. And I think a lot of people struggle with the distinction between the creativity, the art of it, the personal connection they have with that, and then almost having to sever that connection and then turn it into a business transaction or a product or a a mindset that says, okay, this is no good if people don't know about it. So I'm going to have to get out there and spread the word because if not i'm just going to be the world's best kept secret you know that nobody knows about so what's the point in that but it's hard for people as you say who haven't had that opportunity to look at the world from a business perspective i think you know that will always stand you in good stead and it will cross all the different disciplines that you might think about applying your creativity to Something else you mentioned out, you mentioned it a couple of times, and I really want to dig into it a little bit more, is your motto and your description of what that means to you, that rebelliousness. So can you sort of deconstruct it a little bit more, where it came from, what you mean by it, how you apply it to your everyday existence? Yeah, it's, I can say what it's not straight away. It's, it's definitely not putting your fingers up to your parents and smashing a bus stop. It's not that rebellious. That's negative. It's positive rebellion. It's, it's rebellion in the sense of you have something that you know you want to do, but there is something holding you back. And being rebellious is identifying what is holding you back and saying, no, I'm not going to let you do that anymore. Mm. It's the salmon swimming against the current. And that's the, the logo that I use for my, my learning and development brand. It's the salmon swimming against the stream because in order for the salmon to reach the sea, it's got to swim upstream over waterfalls. It's got to get past the bears and the fishermen before it can reach the beauty of the open ocean. And that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's rebellious to me. And the idea came to me because I was looking for a business name, something that embodied what I wanted to offer to people. and. I knew that when I was delivering training, I certainly didn't do it as a tick box exercise. I I don't do boring training. My training is about getting people to engage with something that personally affects them. So they want to make a difference. So they want to make personal change happen. That's always been my thing. And I was thinking, ah, disruptive learning development. Nah, that's not quite it. I did want something punk in there because, you know, it's, oh no, too anarchic. I can't really do that. It's not, not really my brand. And I was getting out of the shower one day, not really thinking about it. And it just hit me like a lightning bolt just popped into my head. I was like, I want to be rebellious. That's, that's exactly what. And I thought, well, that's not just a business brand. That's a mantra. That's something that I believe in. If, if that's who I am and what I believe, then how many other people will benefit from that in my training work? And how far would that carry what I want to put out into the world? And so that's where it all came from, really. I think a lot of the things you've described there as being the barriers that we're overcoming. So, you know, the the upstream swimming and the jumping over rocks, all those different things that could cause us to stop in our tracks or to go backwards. In real life, more often than not, people have described to me the thing that makes that happen is something that's going on inside their heads. 
Sometimes exactly. it comes from yeah. something somebody else has taught them. Sometimes it comes from society. We build up these beliefs. Recognizing that there is one there is one step. It's probably half the way if you recognize something is stopping you. But it's not that easy to change that belief. So do you have specific techniques or training that you've done to help you overcome those limiting beliefs and help other people o- overcome them? One of the things that worked with for me was identifying when I was making an excuse for not doing what I wanted to do. That was that was a real big moment for me to recognize that. Let me give you an example. I'll go, right, I want to be an actor. And something in my mind says, well, do you know what? That, you know, you might have to travel quite a long way to do that job. Can you really leave your family for that amount of time to do that job? And I'd go, yeah, you're right. It's probably not for me, actually. I'll stick to what's safe and near home because then I can be here for the family. Another occasion might be, hey, how about being an actor? And something in my mind goes, well, do you know what? Somebody's told you before that only special people get to do that. So, you know, there's nothing really special about you. So you wouldn't be able to compete. There's already loads of people in that pool. So, you know, you've got something good. Keep doing that. So those kind of excuses were things that I would tell myself all the time. And and I'd be going to work, enjoying my job and going through my days and all that kind of stuff. But then in those quiet moments, when I'm watching a great film, where there's an incredible performance going on, an actor that I admire, I'd be watching them and I'd be going, I want to be doing that. Why am I not doing that? And then another excuse would pop in because that's Daniel Day-Lewis. You're never going to be like him. It's those kind of excuses. What I realized is that I'm skipping to the end. I'm skipping to actually having achieved excellence as an actor. And I'm going, well, as a megastar, you're going to have to travel. You're not going to be around for your family as much for that sort of time. Oh, you're going to have to compete with someone like Daniel Day-Lewis because you're already a professional actor. Well, that was it was all excuses and it was all a what-if kind of situation. So instead of telling myself a what-if, I would start actually taking small steps. Like I said before, I'd, I'd just have a look. So I'd say to myself, well, instead of making that excuse, because that's not a very good reason, why not just have a look? Just maybe put in that application for that short student film that's just popped up on Star Now or Mandy. Why not stop making excuses? Just put the application and see where it goes because there's no guarantee that I'm going to get an audition. And if I do get an audition, there's no guarantee that I'm going to get called for a second one. And if I do get called for a second one, there's no guarantee that I'm going to get the part. So I stopped skipping ahead to the what ifs and I stopped making excuses because excuses are just, it's, it's like a fight or flight situation. Your body's trying to, tell, to to run away. It's saying, oh no, you're a bit scared. Turn around on your heels and run away from it. Stay somewhere safe. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going to stay safe anywhere anymore. I'm, I've burned my boats. I'm swimming upstream now. I'm, I'm being rebellious. And I'm going to say, I'm just going to put the application in, see where it goes. And that's the mindset. Brilliant. And the thing is, that works for every situation where an excuse pops up. Now that you're aware that that happens, all you've got to do is stop and think, okay, where's that coming from? Is it true? What can I do differently that isn't going to be quite so scary? What small step can I take? So you've already got the process that you can apply each time it happens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can apply it to anything, can't you? Mm. Okay. I'm also curious. You've talked about the rebellious brand. I'm also curious about your martial arts. I know a very, very wonderful coach who coaches other coaches to be living their best life. And he, he uses his martial arts in his training of those coaches in terms of mindset. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about that. What do you do? What is it, the discipline you, you follow and, and how does it affect your thinking? Yeah, I don't think I could have done anything that I'm doing right now without the mindset that I gained from doing martial arts. So I train in a version of Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do, which is more of a philosophy. It's more of a philosophical approach to to training. It's not just for martial arts. It comes into all areas of life. And the reason it's not a style in itself is because it takes from multiple different disciplines. So we do a bit of Filipino martial arts with some stick and dagger work. So there's weapons in there, but there's also empty hand stuff. We take from the the origins of uh, Wing Chun. 
So there's some Kung Fu in there. There's some trapping techniques that we tend to use. The striking of Western boxing and the power of Western boxing plus Thai as well. So we've got the low kicking, the elbows and the knees of Thai. There's some areas of street fighting as well for self-defense and protection. But there's also some wrestling and groundwork, there's some grappling, utilizing some jujitsu and wrestling. So there's multiple different areas of it. And I think the reason why those things come into being rebellious and having that mindset of, I'm not going to make excuses for myself anymore. You get a philosophy behind it. The, the symbol for Jeet Kune Do says having no way is way and taking no limitation is limitation. If you limit yourself, you'll never reach your full potential. But what is full potential? I, I think it's limitless. It really depends on where you want to take yourself. So the martial arts helped me to develop my own way and help me to realize that I don't actually have limitations. I can keep going as long as I'm able to go in whatever it is that I want to pursue. So it's not just going into a room and bashing people around the head, although that is fun, really good fun sometimes. But with the philosophy of achieving potential, pushing your limits, facing your fears, becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable, my instructor says that but it's good to be uncommon among common people. But he says, when we do martial arts, we're uncommon among uncommon people. And what he means by that is that we always seek to elevate ourselves, always seek to change and to, to mold ourselves in, in the ways that we want to be. And if we're not satisfied with that, we look to change again. Wow. Yeah, I, I would recommend to anybody, take up some form of martial arts, whatever suits you, have a look around, shop, shop for your martial arts. Find something that helps you to be able to train your body, your mind, your spirit. Take the philosophy and, uh, and go and use it. There's so much crossover, isn't there, between it's, – it's understandable, the rebellious Martin brand kind of all fits together, doesn't it? I'm sure it hasn't always definitely. felt completely together, but it would definitely <laughs> underpin that, I, I would imagine. Tell me a little bit about your most recent project that you've been working on. I came across you through a connection that we have – when I saw, I think it must have been on Twitter, the preview of Mr. E. I can't remember, but talk to me about that project, how it came about, how you got the, the gig, what it's been like to do, all of that sort of thing. It's been amazing. This is, this is dream come true territory. So this is complete nothing in terms of credits for professional acting to having this feature film available to stream on Prime Video. So it's a really big deal. It's called The Mystery of Mr. E. It's by Sophie Hanna and Martin Top. And Martin directed it. And it's, I've got no words for it. I've, my words are gone. It's a, it's a feature film. It's, <laughs> it's going to be, I think it's between 90 minutes and two hours long. It's, it's a really great, feel good family musical murder mystery. Yeah, I'll say it again. Musical murder mystery. So mm -hmm. the interesting thing about this, because Sophie's written it, it's such a wonderful story. She's, she's written it that twin brothers who call themselves the generalists, they're visited at the beginning of the film by a man that they don't know, a complete stranger. And he comes to their house and he says, I'm the murderer. And they don't know who is murdered, where the murder has been committed. All they know is that he knows that they're going to Idle Wild House that afternoon to meet Peter Landrigan, who's my character. So we already know who the murderer is, or do we? That's the interesting thing about the mm -hmm. story. The other question you asked, the way it came up, I was turning up every day doing acting work, whether that be learning a monologue, doing classes on my acting academy. Maybe I've done some training workshops that day, so I was very much flexing my work and i was going on to mandy.com and star now and i was applying for whatever gigs came up that i thought i could lend my skills to that i could add value to and also learn from this one popped up the mystery of mystery it didn't look anything different to any other things that came up and it said feature film peter landrigan central character one solo to sing and i thought okay i can sing I think I can act. I've got some experience now. I've done a few short films. I'm going to give this a crack. So I put across my application. I did a cover letter. Dear Martin, really intrigued about your film. Love to be part of it. Here's what I can offer. Really excited. Thanks very much. Look forward to hearing from you. I'll put it, put it behind me. I thought, if I hear from that, great. I probably won't. A week or two later, 
Hi, Martin, thanks for your application. I'd love to have a self-tape from you. So I did the self-tape. And I shredded my size afterwards. It's my practice because you've got to put it behind you once you're done because otherwise you'll be checking your emails every day and it'll drive you crazy. So I put it behind me. And he comes back to me and says, ah, lovely tape, but I don't think you're right for Peter. But have a go at this other part. I'd like you to have a go at Max. So I did another self-tape for Martin Top. Sent it off to him. Thanks for the other opportunity, Martin. Would love to be part of the film. Here's my tape for Max. Off it went. He comes back to me about a few days, a week later. And he says, do you know, I'm happy with Max. I think that's really good. You've got, I'd like to offer you the part of Max. So I was like, yes, I've got a part in a feature film. I can't believe it. It's written by Sophie Hanna. This guy, Martin Tite, has done some great work. He's, uh, he's got some short films. He's got a feature film out called Hunter's Lodge. I can't wait to be part of this film. And he goes, there's another thing. I'd like you to sing Peter's song because the guy who I've got cast as Peter is not sure whether he wants to sing it. So can you do me a demo? So I said, okay, yeah, sure. So I did the demo, sent it off to him, sang the song for Peter. He comes back to me and he says, okay, yeah, I'll have you do the song for Peter. And you can have the parts, Max. I'll credit you for both. And there we go. That's a done deal. I was like, I'm in a feature film. A couple of days later, he comes back. I get an email from Martin Top, And he says, do you know what? I want you to have another go at Peter. Here's some notes. Here's some things I want you to try and do differently, okay? Gave me a bit more of a flavor about the character. Gives me the thing. And I thought, okay, I'll have another go at Peter. So I did it differently based on his notes. And I sent off the audition. And a couple of days later, Martin came back and says, that's the one. That's what I was looking for. And he goes, I've made a decision. I'm going to cast you as Peter Landrigan. And I couldn't believe it. It's after all of that, I managed to get cast. So it's from beginning to end, it was a complete cold application. Mm -hmm. He had no idea who I was. I, I didn't know him. And over the course of a few weeks, it was back and forth, back and forth, not quite getting it right, not sure. Yes, a little win. Let's have another go. But eventually it ended up in something great. And, and the experience was incredible all the way. <laughs> and so things hopefully are going to change. It's good. More people will know you for sure. Yeah, yeah, maybe. You might notice at this point, I'm very much keep a lid on my feet. Oh, yeah. Expectations. You know? I was going, exactly. I was going to ask you about that because that actually was your process. Your process was not to have expectations each time. It was, okay, yeah. here's another little step. Let me just do this, put it behind me. Oh, here's another little step. And that's actually how you've described the whole process of being in this world of acting is that that's how you have to live it. Because if you get too far ahead of yourself, then you'll probably fall over because you'll start comparing yourself with a place that you're not at yet. Exactly that. Yeah. 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 yeah of course, there's a certain amount of visualization. Yeah. I think in order to go where you're supposed to be going, you've got to visualize what it's, what it's like when you get there. So yeah. my visualization is that we're in that cinema and it's, the audience is watching the film and they love it. I would love to achieve that, but that's a dream. That can't yeah. be my expectation. So yeah. I've got to keep a lid on it mm. because I really don't know what to expect. I think it's, I've seen bits of the film. Of course, I've had to go back in the studio and record bits of additional audio and things. So I've seen some of it and it looks absolutely spectacular. I don't know whether I'm being biased because I'm in it. But I do think it is spectacular and I think people will enjoy it. But I've wow. no way of telling. I don't know where this is going to take me. I hope it opens some doors. But yeah, very much my process is let's see what happens. Mm. Well, that's interesting because I was one question I was going to ask you before we finish was, what's your opinion? And this is more perhaps as a coach trainer, and I'm a coach myself, so I'm sort of a little bit biased in asking this question, but what's your opinion of <laughs> big, hairy, audacious goals? Do they have a part to play in our striving to reach our full potential? Yeah, even big, fat, hairy, audacious goals. Yes, that's the even one. Big, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think you've got to be big in what you want to achieve. But I also think that can stifle your creativity, going back to the beginning of our mm. conversation, mm -hmm. where creativity has to have freedom around it. You've, you've got to be free in your thinking, in your mind. And if your dreams feel too big or if, if they seem too big for you today, you've got to think about, well, where's that first step? Mm. So I think it's all good to have that big, hairy, audacious goal. Mm -hmm. But is it an achievable thing? How can you 
how can you just take the first step towards it? What are you going to Google today that's going to give you the answer? What, what can you research? How long do you want it to take you if you're going to set that? Now, I don't set my goals too rigidly because I feel it, it stifles my creativity. I know, I know some people who write their goals down and they're very much in a specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and timescale way, the SMART goals. But for me, it's I know what I want to do, how I want to go about doing it. But if I don't achieve the things that I want to achieve in the timescales I've set, it's okay. I'll just rejig it. Mm. So I think I need to be kind to myself when I'm setting those big goals, when I'm thinking about, well, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? I think there has to be a certain amount of, well, just do one bit at a time and see where it takes you. Enjoy the journey mm. because you don't know where it's going to go. And that's, that's exciting. Mm. Yes, I agree with you. I, funny enough, when I, when I do set my biggest goals, I very rarely put a timescale on them because mm. until you know what the constituent parts are, you can't really say how long those steps are going to take. So I tend to have a goal that's almost like a mantra that's words that are sort of running through my veins that drive me forward. And everyone looking at that goal would be, what, is, what, is, what goal is that? It's nothing, but it means something to me. So it's more of an emotional yeah. connection with the thing I'm trying to achieve rather than a very business-like smart goal in, in that sense. And it, that gives you then the freedom mm. and the flexibility to deal with things as they happen and adapt to them on the way to where you're going. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you totally. I can't believe our time has kind of come around so quickly, but I do want people to know how to find you. Where do you spend your time and how would you want people to connect with you? Well, so my acting stuff is on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So you can find my profile there. I, I started that up to record my acting journey. So I've got photos and videos from starting my first short film all the way through to now that I've, I've got starring roles in two feature films so and, and more. You can find me M-A-R-T-Y-N, Spend Love, on Instagram. And it's also the same on Twitter. So you can come and see anything that I'm posting, updates on films and my acting journey there as well. They're the main places. Oh, I've got a LinkedIn as well. If you're interested to learn more about the coaching and, and training side of things, I sometimes share some nuggets of wisdom. Well, I think they are. Some people <laughs> might agree. And that's on LinkedIn as well. Okay, brilliant. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes when the episode goes out. Thank you so much for your time, Martin. It's been really, really good to speak to you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Nikki. Take care. Bye-bye. Such an inspirational conversation. And what great lessons we can all learn from Martin in what can happen if you truly listen to that inner voice. Now, it's Creative Adventures time. And I promise to share some advice from Holly Matthews on finding a way through when you feel stuck. When I spoke to Holly in season one, she gave lots of great advice on how creativity plays a big part in finding happiness. But one piece of wisdom about overcoming self-doubt really resonated with me. She said, if you're stuck, wherever you are, there's always a way through. As you'll know, if you've been following my creative adventures, I've been exploring how to connect with all aspects of my creativity. In some cases, this is just an extension of activities I've already been involved in, like using my experiences running my live Facebook show, interviewing authors for the Lost Books of Lockdown during the pandemic as the foundation for this podcast, or continuing to write novels after publishing Pivotal, with my second novel in the pipeline learning the Argentine tango, although a long-standing item on the wish list is a much more recent creative project. There are some things, though, that have been stuck further down the list and are nagging at me to get started. Much like Martin, I've always loved performing, acting, singing, playing the guitar, but have never really given myself the opportunity to pick it up again since school. I won't go into all the whys and why nots here, except to say I know that the nagging voice has been getting louder. So here's the thing. I mentioned Bring the Drama earlier in the episode, in The Edge, my new segment. I didn't just spot that this week. I found the application for the show on the BBC website back last year. 
I knew that competition would be tough. And there was absolutely no guarantee of getting through to an audition. And part of me felt scared to even try. I was stuck trying to decide whether to apply or not. I was worrying about the outcome of not hearing back. Or maybe I felt even more concerned about what would happen if I did hear back. I really wasn't sure what to do. Thinking of what Holly says, I asked myself, what usually works for you to get unstuck? I realised my go-to solution is always to ask other people for help. So I got in touch with a good friend who has had a career in the West End and another who is a performance coach. There were still no guarantees, but with their help, I put together my script based on an original piece of prose I had written and practiced and edited and edited and practiced until I was ready to record the one minute video for my application and sent it in. According to the first episode of the show, I was one of over 2,000 people who applied. If you've watched it, spoiler alert, you'll realise I wasn't selected. But in the end, I was delighted to have found some gumption, as Kate Winslet's character says in the film The Holiday, and been brave enough to even apply. That's not the end of the story, either. I've decided to explore all the ways I can show up as a performer and look for courses or groups and teachers to help me move this side of my creativity forward. I promise to let you know how I get on. And if a podcast is a creative adventure you'd like to begin, check out the links for Alitu, my podcast recording and editing software, and Captivate, my podcast hosting software. I really couldn't do it without these great easy-to-use tools. Are you trying to find a way to get your creativity moving again? Or are you already exploring ways to satisfy the performer inside, like Martin? Do tell us about your experiences in the Creative Switch community. I'd love to hear about your creative adventures. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Switch. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review over on podchaser.com. And if you've got any questions, please let me know on Instagram at Nikki underscore Valance. I do hope you join me next time. And my guest, Mike Hall, whose career took him from technical illustrator to managing director and then co-founder of his own marketing agency before he returns to his true passion, creating art. And remember, why survive when you can thrive? <laughs>